0: So as I mentioned, uh, we're in the week two in the last week of the series called Making the City Beautiful. And we've been talking about God's hope for us as his church in this place right now, here and now where we live and love and serve and work. I'm going to go back a little bit because kind of the the summer up through the fall and into today have all been kind of building onto this. We spent the summer looking back at what God was calling his showcase people, the Israelites, the the nation of of Jerusalem. He would call his people to him, to showcase people to live and love and to serve in such a way to be able to be reflections of his good news to the world around them. And he was calling them to the prophets. We looked at this Minor prophet series and he was sending messages to them as they had stepped away from him, as they had forgotten, as they had messed up, as they had kind of... uh, been cast into exile in the midst of all of it, that they were living in foreign lands. He was reminding them of the hope he had for them, uh, to prosper them, to redeem them, to continue in his faithfulness to them, and for them to continue their faithfulness to God and to con- continue to reflect this hope for the world around us. We spent the summer looking back at that, to these messages that were there and some of the, pulling out some of the things he had for us today. And then we spent the first part of this fall looking at the early church, going into Acts and looking at what happens as Jesus comes He dies, he comes back to life, and as he starts the church of what his hope is for the church and who he's called his people to be, of what they do, of how they live. And we see this picture of the church that loved well. That shared the good news of christ both in word and deed they continued to share the story they continued to tell people around them that jesus really did come that he really did die for their sins that he really came back to life that there is new life coming but they also lived it out they 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 did this in action in their deeds they they told the story of it through the ways they cared and loved and fixed and redeemed and saved and gave and this new people that god had joined together he had started again with his people in the Old Testament, they continued to have ups and downs. And they finally provided a way out through Jesus and said, no, my new hope is this new expression through the church, through my son Jesus and through the life that's there. And then last week as we started this series, we were reminded that God is bringing everything under the reign of Christ that there will be a day in the future when all will be back right, that there will be no more tears, that perfect justice will be restored, that everything will work as it once did back in the Garden of Eden, that perfect relation with God, perfect relation with one another, there'll be no more expectation, there'll be no more brokenness in the world, all will be right, and everything will be aligned under the reign of Christ. And we were reminded of that because there's a choice that we can make. As followers of him, And if we receive the good news of Jesus, if we follow the gospel, We can just say, well, that's something that happens in the future, and I'm just going to continue to sort of live my life here now and just kind of, I'll have this hope, but it doesn't really affect how I live. Or you can start to align with this new kingdom way of living now, that we can start to have our lives look different in the ways that he wanted it to. Again, we see it through the prophets. We see it in this early church, loving well, caring for each other, serving, sharing the word and the deed of this good news that's there an opportunity, and invitation for ourselves to align our lives, to live more and to love more like him. And this week, we're coming to a particular patch that sort of ties these ideas together. It steps back in time, back into those prophet series we're gonna be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29. And a lot of you right now went, oh, I know that one. That sounds familiar, right? Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, you write in all of the graduation cards. Um, maybe it's your life verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a future, right? But we're not actually gonna be looking at that one though. It's part of this story that's there. We're actually gonna go back just a couple of verses, the Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four through seven. And it's on your bulletins if you wanna follow along or if you wanna grab your phone Bibles. But we're gonna be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four to seven. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Listen to this one. The verse, verse seven gets pretty interesting. We're gonna spend a little time on it. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Go back into a little of a context of where this has happened. The people of God have been exiled. They're living among a group of people that have caused them physical harm. They have killed people that they have known. They've caused them spiritual harm. They've caused them economic harm. They've caused them harm in every kind of way that harm can be had. There was a visceral hatred uh, of God's people, and then they were exiled to live amongst them into a city that was uh, very immoral, that was filled with idols. And, and they're sitting in a time and a place where there had to have been a lot of confusion uh, when you think about what's happening. And they're sitting there, and Jeremiah comes and brings them this message. They are hearing all kinds of conflicting news about how they should then live. And this, and Jeremiah tells them to do something um, extraordinary. He tells them to do something that's really kind of far out when you think about it. He tells them something that had to be of God because it is so different than what they would have thought. God sends Jeremiah to give them this message straight from God. He tells them, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. He doesn't say, just huddle up and kind of stay there and wait for me to come back. Just kind of grow your own tribe and sit back he says that the city prospers, you too will prosper, and it must have been shocking, right? It must have been shocking for them to hear this amongst this people that had, had just had treated them so poorly. It says, "I want you to love the city that's been evil and that's hurt you. I want you to pray for it. I want you to engage it with it. I want you to love it, and I want you to root for it." And if it was just that, I think you could kind of say, well, that's just kind of wisdom, right? Like, of course, if the city prospers, uh, then I'll prosper, right? You could sort of see it as quid pro quo. Like, maybe that's just a good idea. And I wouldn't say it's a bad idea, right? If the things around you are going well, then you're going to do well. But he doesn't stop at, at just wisdom. He gives them something else in the midst of it. He says, seek the peace of the city. He says, seek the shalom, this Hebrew word that's in the middle of it. And, and if you've done any study of that or if you're familiar with it, you know this is a very loaded word. It's one you could do months long study on. There's so much uh, entangled in this word and it meant so much, it had such a deep meaning, but in, in, in a, a, a very broad sense of the word, it meant flourishing, this idea of enriching flourishing, kind of in the idea of like an, almost a plant. And it meant flourishing in every area, flourishing spiritually, socially, economically, mentally. It meant this full idea of, uh, of flourishing, not just okay, but like an actual flourishing idea. Shalom, the peace, had so much built into it. Tim Keller, one of the great teachers of our time, uh, Redeemer Press up in New York, who's done a ton of work on cities, a ton of work on the theology of all this, and who I actually really encourage you to spend some time with if you ever have time to see what he believes about the city, just the, the work he's done. Is there but he talks about sort of the options that we have as christians and that they had as they were living in exile in the city of how they could live they could assimilate right they could just sort of blend in and use the city for their personal benefit and we can do the same thing right you could just sort of like give away your identity blend in to what's going on in the world around you and just kind of benefit from it and you just sort of disappear you just kind of become one with it right that's one idea so full assimilation of what's going on he said the other idea right you could be tribalism You could just kind of withdraw into your own world, make everything work for you and just use the city for your benefit. Take what's there and, and make it bless us and just sort of sit back and wait. But that's not the message he had for them nor the message that he seems to have for us because there seems to be a third way, a third way that's outlined as Christ comes as the picture of the new church is there. And it's this idea of selfless love. This idea that Christians should be the very best citizens because we can enter society with an intact view of God because we know through this new hope and expression that's there that we can walk in with something that most people don't have. That we can approach the earthly city with hearts ready to serve because we already have a secure inheritance in the heavenly one. That we actually need very little. God has supplied all we need. He's taken care of our deepest needs and longings when we meet with him. But we have much to give those around us. And this idea that God's kingdom comes when believers demonstrate their love for God by the way they actually love other people. It, it would seem as we kind of look at this and extrapolate, as we look into the New Testament, and we see Jesus' teaching and, and the hope of the church that one of our jobs as citizens of this new kingdom that he's wired up is to work in this day and age in this particular place and time that we're in to bring everyone to shalom, to flourishing, to peace. I found this quote and I found it to be quite helpful. It says, working and praying for the welfare of where God has placed us enables us to bear witness to the love and faithfulness of the Lord in our communities. Promote the general welfare is such an important concept that the Committee on Style, who wrote the preamble of the US Constitution, included it in the introduction to that important document. And that is what Jeremiah is encouraging the exiles to do to promote the general welfare. Jeremiah was trying to help these people who were exiled to change their attitude in the midst of a terrible ordeal. He sought to direct their focus to shalom, to flourishing and to prayer, to lifting up this broken place, to life and the gratitude and the hope. And these things that we should all hold on to with as much tenacity as we can muster. Um, Gratitude is this idea of how faith responds in remembering God's past faithfulness. And that's gratitude. We see God's faithfulness and we respond in those ways. But hope is this forward-looking idea. Hope is is planning on it. It's trusting in God's faithfulness in the future. And there's this huge idea of hope that is implanted throughout the New Testament that Jesus carries into the church, that we carry hope into the world, that we can move into it in this unique way. Now, I always want to be a little careful when we come to some of these Old Testament passages and trying to apply them too much to our lives, especially when they've been written in a very particular context and a particular place. Again, this was a prophecy written to a people in exile and and a time and a place, and it's a very unique prophecy that was there. And if there was no evidence of this hope and this idea carried on, it would kind of live in that place, but we see it over and over and over again in Jesus' teachings as well as the life of the church, this idea that we should care for others that we should serve that we actually are, are some of our biggest benefit to the world and, and reflection of him is in service and i want to look at a couple of those because jesus says in mark 10:45, for even the son of man even god himself did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many i think we can stop there right i mean this huge broad idea that the god of the universe came to serve but then he continues on in his teaching matthew 25 he says for when i was hungry you gave me something to eat i was thirsty you gave me something to drink I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they questioned him. When, when, when did we see these things? And he continues on. The king will reply, truly, I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me this idea to serve the vulnerable, the least of these in the world. And then he kind of gives the big picture, right? The one that the church is, is based on that our church really clings to the great commandment, Mark 12, and it's found throughout the gospels. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer he asks him of all the commandments, which is the most important? Just bottom line it. I was thinking about this. It uh, hit me this morning. Um, the other day, AJ is my nine-year-old, and she was telling a really long, very detailed story um, that the details were sort of getting in the way of the point of the story. And at one point, I was like, can you just sort of bottom line the story for me? And Rachel starts laughing at me. And I, I, I don't know if I was being mean or if I was just, I, anyhow, I feel like this is what this guy was doing. Like, can you just sort of bottom line everything, Jesus? Like, you're saying all this cool stuff. Just give me the bottom line on this one. Jesus says this. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Huge overarching picture of of serving, right? Jesus lays the groundwork for it. Then The early church just carries it on. Galatians 6.10 on your bulletin as well. It says, so then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter 4.10 Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Galatians 5.13 You my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love where the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is a high Passover. Over and over and over and over again, we see the command to serve, to love one another. And the early church took this so to heart that there is an author by the name of Rodney Stark. He's a non-Christian. He was kind of writing a book, looking at why did Christianity grow? I think he was sort of looking like, if I could take the Jesus out of Christianity, like what made the early church flourish so much? Was it, was it a great marketing campaign? Did they have a lot of good Facebook exposure? Like what was it that made the early church explode? And he said that in these early, these centuries kind of after Jesus in the early church, uh, that in the Greco-Roman Empire, there were these horrible plagues wiping out cities. And, and they, you know, as the cities where these plagues were happening, there were just piles of bodies. I mean, it's awful scenes. Kind of back think about Monty Python, sort of that whole thing going on. And people were fleeing the cities. People were running away. But he had this quote. He says, an eyewitness account said, most Christians during the plague showed unbounded love and loyalty. Never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. Many departed their life serenely happy, for they were infected by their neighbors and they cheerfully accepted their pains. When the cities were falling apart, those followers of Jesus were rushing in the care. They took care of people at the cost of their own lives. And we see it now, right? We see it every time there's a disaster. Who are some of the first to go in, right? The people of Jesus are the people that are close to go serve their neighbors a Christian a follower of Jesus sees their city and their place as a place to serve and not a place to get ahead and over and over we're reminded to serve the care for others that we're in a particular time and place on purpose and for a purpose and last week Phil Hissom founder of the Polis Institute who just knows the needs of our city who's done a deep dive into it he reminded us that foolishness is full of answers foolishness has them all but wisdom starts with questions So we have this strong scriptural basis, this identity through Christ of who we are and serving. So it seems that the questions arise now of how do we see our city? How do we see our place now and where can we serve? And we're gonna be looking at that very practically. I'm gonna be sharing some opportunities that we have in just a few minutes, but I wanted you to see a story of that played out here in the life of our church. So take a look at this story for the next few minutes.
1: I'm Bill Sefton, and this is my wife, Tricia, and we're getting ready to foster. We've been told we're a little unconventional as empty nesters to to take this on. A lot of folks who do foster care already have children and are sort of working the foster kids into the mix, and I mean, From our standpoint, we feel like it's the perfect time to do it. Um, It just feels like we shouldn't necessarily look at this as a time of comfort. We should look at this as a time of an opportunity to to do something, you know, calling all empty nesters. It's time to (laughs) time to start filling these needs.
2: We started this journey just stepping out on faith knowing that that's what God was calling us to but knowing no one And then we got connected with a training class that's the first step for getting into foster care. And it just happened to be going on at Summit.
1: And not coincidentally, obviously, while we were taking that class is when Summit was really starting to, both from a leadership standpoint and from a rollout standpoint, talk about this is what we're going to be focusing on. So it just, you know, the timing was, it's not something we could have written for sure.
2: It's been amazing to watch God answer prayers and to unveil His will little by little. And it has been a tremendous boost in my faith over the past few weeks to see God say time and time again, I'm not asking you to start anything. I'm asking you to join me where I am already working.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's one of those things that just increases trust. I mean, she's a planner and I'm a warrior. And so it, you know, it's nice to know that God has sort of laid all these things out and in a way that allowed both of us to step back and say okay.
2: We were a week away from our final inspection and our inspections took place over the months of November and December and so we created a registry and it just wasn't getting any traction at all and so I started to become very afraid and I reached out to the staff. I just sent an email um, to Dan and I said, I know you want to be helping with foster care. We're stuck. I was fearful, but I went and opened up our registry and I just sat and cried. Here are these people, people that we don't even know They're so eager to do the work of God. They're so eager to help. And we're not alone as we move forward in the journey. It's going to look different along the way, um, but God will constantly provide those people to meet that need. And we talked to you. We um, had completed all of our steps to become foster parents, but then we had a long, unexpected season of waiting. Two weeks later, out of the blue, we are all of a sudden licensed. So we are already officially licensed foster parents. It's crazy. It's hard, it's amazing to think that. After all of this time of waiting and planning and preparing, we are officially licensed and ready to do this. We received an email that said that there was a newborn and asked if we were willing to take him. And so we said yes, and about six hours later, a stranger shows up on the doorstep with this itty-bitty little baby. Just like that, we became foster parents.
1: You know, he's one of those babies that just seems to be content and happy kind of wherever he is and with whatever's going on. He's, he's really a super temperament.
2: He loves people <laughs> um, and he loves being in a church. And we've known from the beginning that God has kind of called us to share
1: him. I mean, our care community is a group of couples that um, some have young kids, some don't. Uh, they're kind of a wide range of folks, um, and now we call them friends. And they have, you know, jumped in completely with us in this process. And I don't know. I really don't know what we'd have done without without their help, for sure. Part of God's
2: plan for our story was this group that has come to mean more to us than they can ever imagine. I greatly appreciate their tenderness and their compassion. Um, foster care is an emotional journey. To have people that are willing to share and that with us um, has been tremendously life-giving. One of the most unexpected things for me and having a care group around us has been how well the people in our community have loved on him, even knowing that he would not be around for very long, um, that he would be returned to his family. And we're confident that he is in God's hands and we know it's the right thing.
1: This is really a, a fantastic way for you. People who are at Summit to show their hearts to the world. And I think that this is one that Summit in particular has the right mix of people and talent and resources to really make a huge difference. First and foremost, of course, we want him to know that that he's loved and that following after God is the greatest way to make sure that you know that no matter what your circumstances are in your life. And we've given him that start here and the church has been just amazing at jumping in with us on that. Our hope is that that he's got a calling from the earliest days of his life to follow after God. That's really our biggest hope.
0: love that story His family Is family. It's a costly yet simple following of God's leading in their life, right? They were stirred up to do something and they followed the steps and it was rough along the way. And they get there and they know that this is a season, right? They're stepping in at a meaningful time for this child who's going to go back with their family. But they know that they can do something in this time. They can provide support. and They've got people around them. And I just love their heart for it, that they know what they're doing it for. They know that this matters and their heart that he would have a chance to get to hear the good news of Christ in the midst of all of that. It's a really big thing as they do that. So we just celebrate them along the way. Um, we've always been a church that serves. It's just been part of our DNA. It's part of who we are as a church. It's been how we're wired. we wired. We believe that it matters that we exist as a church to so our community, that we're called to serve and fix broken things around us. It's right there in our vision, right in the middle of our vision. It says serve others. It's the center of who we are and who God has called us to be. And we have been uh, prayerfully over these last year or so, been led to become more focused in our local service to be more directed we've always served in a number of different ways but we've said what what if we really got serious what if we got really focused we're able to step into a couple of meaningful places and and to be able to see kind of long-term change in the midst of that To harness our unique wiring our unique abilities what we have to offer in the places that we are Uh, and so our local service is this this is kind of our overall guidance on it it says we're committed to support the systems structures and relationships that reach and serve vulnerable children in our city. And we are really, we've always been committed to vulnerable children. That's always been a part of who we are. We know that children are at the end of the system, right? They're at the part they were receiving and they've not made the choices to get into a lot of the situations. They are uh, there at the part there and we've done that. And we've always been a big church with foster and adoption has always been a big part of our hearts here, but serving kids and families around that. And and we're really saying, we're gonna support the systems that are there. We can meaningfully step into places to come around them. And, And there will be times that means that we'll have direct, like intervention with children, but mostly we're supporting things that are already going along in relationships and following them in there to make a difference. And this doesn't mean that we're not serving in other ways. Many of you are wired up to serve in different ways. We're not saying, hey, you should stop doing those things or or any of these other ones. But what we are saying is that this has been a helpful framework for us as a church. We live out our calling into our city in this particular time and place. And it's given us two main areas that we're focusing on to serve. And again, this might be new information to some of you and this might be a repeat, but we want you to hear this. There's two areas that we really feel uniquely qualified to serve as a church. One is to support the foster care system and two is in our local schools. So why foster care? Why this piece? It has been stirred up in us and for a number of reasons. There's a lot of issues around foster care. This two out of three children of foster care moved at an average of seven or more times. Uh, We hear this all the time, but why does that matter? Because each move costs a child an estimate of eight months of progress. Each move costs a child. So every time they move, they're set back that so far. So when they move rapidly, when there's not stability in there, it happens. And then this one was one of those ones that really just sort of stopped us. 50% of foster families stop fostering after their first placement. So you have these families that have been wired up that go through the training, it's not easy, it is very time consuming, it's costly, you go through all of this to foster and then you do it once and it is so difficult, there's so little support around it and, and the challenges are so high that they quit and you had someone who invested their heart and their life and time in it. So we said, well, it seems like there were some opportunities around us to start reshaping some of those statistics to make a difference. So here's the opportunity that's in there. We found this number, and it is just staggering. 90% of foster families surrounded by care communities continue fostering. So if you put a group of people around this family to provide meals, a little child chai care, just some, some meeting, like you saw, their groups came around them and supported them as a family as they're, as they're caring for a foster child for that season that they have them, they continue to do it. So they're able to provide stability. They're able to keep going 90% from, 50, from half quitting to only 10%. I mean, that is a huge thing by putting a few people around them. As I mentioned, care communities, they provide support and care for foster families. It's a group of people who commit to care for one family that's fostering um, people in the group, uh, the role, most role that most people play are to provide meals. They provide one meal a month. Uh, they do The whole group provides a really huge deal of praying for the family, of sharing uh, the family's prayer requests and being able to do that heavy lifting along the side. And there's also opportunities to provide respite and, and, and help with other things, just extra support to these families. The other number that we saw, that there's approximately 200 kids that need a home. in in the Orlando area. It seemed like such a manageable number when you think about how many churches are there, who we can be and We may not be necessarily pushing towards fostering, though a number of people here will take up that challenge over time as we get involved with this, but as we keep families that are fostering, fostering longer, that number goes down over time. There's fair stability, there are places that they know that children can be placed and in that season of instability, there's some stability that can enter in. So for foster, we wanna come around families and provide the support so they can care and serve longer. and we've been invited just into a really unique way of caring for families that are fostering the laws of change in recent times to been able to allow us to provide this really unique way of serving uh, families that have need, that have opened their home to kids, and we provide this group around them that give them stability. And we're already seeing some encouraging signs of what that looks like as we're doing it. Um, it is not always easy work, but it has been meaningful. And we've only, at a few months into this, we have this incredible team of people that are running this here as volunteers in the church, and they've been putting in into place. As I mentioned, we've already got three teams that are in place doing this. So I wanna show you just a quick video sort of a look around the opportunity here, and then share with you a little bit more about it.
3: Meet Abby. She's a foster child. And like 400,000 other children in the United States just like her, she stands in line for a foster care system that struggles mightily to provide children with loving homes. The cost of that struggle is staggering. Did you know that over 60% of American children caught up in sex trafficking come out of foster care? Or that there are several states where over half the prison inmates come from the foster system? Or that the majority of girls who age out of foster care become pregnant within two years, perpetuating the cycle of generational poverty? Abby needs more than a roof over her head. She needs a home. She needs more than the state. She needs a father and a mother. She needs consistent and sincere love. Nurturing, accountability, and hope. Live the Promise is based on the biblical promise in Psalm 68:6. 6, God sets the lonely in families. It's our commitment to live that promise, specifically for foster kids. When we compare the number of kids in need of homes with the number of churches in America, a simple arithmetic becomes clear. If each church could raise up one foster family, we would be able to take all children in the foster system and place them in the care of a loving home. Live the Promise exists to encourage and equip these churches to raise up loving families and volunteers committed to caring for kids like Abby. We will achieve this in three ways. First, we use church awareness campaigns to inspire new families to express God's love by giving homes to children in need. Second, we provide an engineered care community to surround foster families with love and support, which keeps approved families fostering longer. Third and finally, by providing many ways in which families can serve together and be the hands of God to these needy children. We help many families transition from supporting foster families to becoming foster families. Abby needs help. Churches want to help. Live the Promise helps churches by giving them clear direction and concrete actions to take. Live the Promise helps Abby and many more like her by raising up families who want to put the promise of God into action. The need is great. The time is now. Let us live the promise together.
0: So I want you to have a chance to hear from someone who's on one of our care community that's already in the process of serving. So this is Amber, give it up for her. She's been serving for a few months now. So do you mind just introducing yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do and you're not here serving our kids this morning, I've pulled her out of base camp already twice, you know, no big deal.
4: Um, Yeah, definitely, so when I'm uh, not at church, I work at Verizon, I do sort of some reporting, some fun stuff like that, and yeah, base camp's another thing I do, it's enjoyable. Awesome,
0: and how long have you been serving on a care community?
4: Um, So we're in the same care community, it's been going on for a little over three months now.
0: Awesome, and what is your role on the team?
4: I am what they call a family helper, so providing meals once a month at a minimum. And then as other opportunities pop up to help out, we can step in as well.
0: And so what does a time commitment look like for you?
4: So um, the person I do it with, another member of my uh, Connect group, we don't cook necessarily. (laughs) So we go to local restaurants and support the local business. So that only takes us about maybe half hour to an hour to order a meal, pick it up, and take it to the family each week.
0: It's great. She's providing shalom to our city, just helping restaurants flourish here in the area. Um, and so what have you learned about serving in this way? I I know people are kind of curious about it. We've, you're sort of in one of the first groups that's going. So what have you learned? What has it been like to actually be part of all of this?
4: Yeah, I think um, the main thing I've learned is how much uh, one little act can really mean. Um, the foster mom has expressed to us several times that just even having you know, a meal a week is a huge deal for them to get to be able to spend a time as a family together. Uh, she gets to work out with her husband for the first time in years together. So those little acts of kindness, I think um, Mother Teresa said, you know, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. So it's a way to do that very easily.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Amber, for that. We appreciate you and everything you've done. So I just wanted you to get the perspective uh, from someone who's doing it. Because right, it can either seem like, man, this is not a, a significant thing to do a meal. Like, that doesn't seem like enough. Or it can feel like, oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine how I would make one more meal on top of all the other meals I'm already preparing But I also want you to hear how it matters. She mentioned a couple of things, but one of the great things about being in the care community is we stay in touch with the families that are fostering, and they've sent us a couple of notes. And again, it can seem like a little bit insignificant, right, a meal, but here's what she said about it. She says, I want to thank every one of you for being a part of this support program. To most people, having a simple dinner brought over means little, but it's huge for us. I've come to see that most of you have families yourself, so taking out the time to make an extra dinner is huge. And there's not been one thing brought to us that hasn't been completely consumed, three exclamation points. Uh, we really appreciate that as well as the prayers. And then she goes on to share a prayer request for her son. And this has been one of those great things that like she's invited us into her own family. This particular family has uh, a couple of children and they've got two or three foster children so their life is pretty complex in all the ways it goes. And one of her sons has kind of taken the brunt. Some of the kids they foster haven't necessarily been nice to them over time and there's been some conflict there. And her son has kind of gone from the cheerful little boy she knew to one who's kind of started to get a little bit Bitter in the midst of all this, and she's been asking us to pray for him. And she starts to mention that she's starting to see him change in the midst of prayer, in the midst of the season, as they are having a little bit more time together. She's seeing a change. So we've been invited in to a pretty significant prayer role in their family. And then, as Amber mentioned, she sent us another note. It was so great. She said, "Wednesday I came home I was about to jump in making dinner, but remember that you guys were bringing it. That I'd be blessed with it that evening. So instead, I did something I've been wanting." to do for a while, work out with my husband. I used to be a trainer at LA Fitness, but since life has gotten so busy, we haven't had a chance to do it. And and I finally got a chance to work out with them, and it was awesome. It felt so good to spend time with them. So there's this idea of enriching their marriage, right? In the midst of these people that are giving so much, just knowing that they had a little bit of time off the table they could do something together. It matters. The service matters, and it can seem small, and it can seem big, but all of it really matters to these families is making a difference. Helping them uh, to foster longer, helping to provide stability in these unstable times, helping them preserve their marriages in the midst of it. Um, And so, I think I've got your attention right. You kind of see some of the needs that are there. Uh, What do you need to do? What's the next step? You're ready? Here it is. Uh, Get trained and be ready. We have two trainings that are coming up. Tuesday, October 22nd is an evening one. We have one on Sunday at 12.30. Honestly, some of the best training I've done, video-based, and the conversation, it's tight. It it answers the questions. At the end, you sign up online, and you are in the system. And then, there's some work that has to be done in the process of that. There's some background checks. We want to be responsible uh, as we care for those families. We want to do our due diligence in the midst of that. So there's a little bit of a ramp-up time as people go through the training and then sometimes it's sitting there and waiting it's being ready so that when there's a family that's ready to go and when we have the right people in the right place we can be ready to go so take the step go and just just it doesn't even mean you're 100 percent do it but it just gives you the opportunity to even do it at some point go get trained sign up you can sign up online some connect.org go to one of these two trainings all right Today, it's gonna to be a high ask day, warning. Okay, next, second area, we feel really uniquely called to our schools here in our area. And why is that? Why schools, again, systems that serve vulnerable children. Schools are full of vulnerable children. They are the hub of everything going on in life. They are uh, filled with all kinds of schools. And many of you serve at your school or at A school, and that's great, you should continue to do that. But there are schools around us that need a little extra love, that need a little extra help. There are kids that end up there not by choice, by, by where they're born, by the uh, situations they find themselves in. And there's a couple of really unique areas that I think that we find ourselves drawn to, especially around kids in schools. One, poverty, right? It just affects uh, reading, graduation rates. Uh, children don't have a choice to live in poverty. It is something that they experience. Some of the numbers we see in our city are just staggering 12,500 kids across our Tri County area are homeless. One in four kids are at risk of going to bed hungry in Central Florida. They're very vulnerable. So we have that. And then, uh, we have a heart, I have a heart, I know there's a number of us here that have a heart for, for kids with disabilities, for special needs, for families that are, are in the midst of that. It's been a part of how um, I've served them and wired up for a while, and I know there's, it's an unusual a portion of our, our campus um, is also in that, and there's just a whole other layer that affects families that have kids with disabilities. Uh, um, divorce rates go off the charts. It takes poverty up to another level. There's just takes a toll on them in a number of ways. And so we wanna go where there's opportunity where we can bring hope. So. As we've been going through schools, we've been following relationships, asking questions about how we can serve. Two schools we've had the most traction with, Lyman High School. It's down the street. We have uh, uh, teachers, administrators that go to this uh, campus here. There's got proximity. Uh, We're serving with them here at at this next nice serve. We learned a lot about their needs in the spring as we spent some time together. And it was mind-blowing. As much as I know about schools, uh, we just learned how much work just goes to get a kid in class. Uh, The amount of work that they go to provide food, nutrition, counseling, services around just not, we didn't even talk about class. We barely even got to talk about school, just the amount of things that need to go around a kid who's in crisis and in in transition to do that. So we have some upcoming opportunities that are there, mentoring, project support at NYSERV. We have a unique opportunity at a school that's right around the corner, and it's the UCP Seminole campus. It's less than five minutes away. In fact, you would probably never know it's there unless you've had interaction with it. They serve families of kids with disabilities. There are typical children. There are kids with special needs that are there. It's uh, it's behind the McDonald's on Lake Mary Boulevard. It's kind of tucked back in there. VPK, early childhood. It's a Title I school. Uh, there's a lot of different services that are offered there. And there's just been relationships that have stemmed from within our campus as well. We follow naturally where relationships are there. And there's just some really unique Early intervention that we can take with our children that are there. So, what's the action step in that? Uh, we want to get really involved with them and we want to show that we care. As we were meeting with the, the faculty, they were asking, What could we do? We've got a campus our size, we're right here. Like, what was something that would be meaningful? Because we never want to serve either to just stay busy or to take up their resources. Because when we serve, it takes something. they said, You know, we have this fall festival and every year we do the fall festival and the kids are there and the parents come with the kids. But what the parents wanna do is meet up with the teachers. They wanna have a chance to be together with their teachers and have a relationship But the teachers are running the event. If you could come run the event, our teachers would be freed up to spend time with teachers Like we can do that like that's that's like low-hanging fruit for us so fall festival is coming up friday october 18th uh, there's uh, some set of times during the day they're looking for as well as in the evening some ways to serve the actual event itself you can go online summitconnect.org look under events you can sign up to do that we would love to show up in a big way that's next it's a week from this coming friday you just kind of kickstart that relationship that's there we would love to do that Last we'll ask right here, serve. Nice serve is a huge part of who we are as a church. It's been our most visible way of serving over time. It's been a way for us uh, originally to kind of get involved with local service, introduce you to an agency, maybe you could serve with them, but it's really turned into a way that we come alongside of people that we're already serving, the schools, families that were already wired up to serve. We go in, we take a day out to be able to serve together as a family, and it's coming up this coming Saturday. Uh, three hours, you sign up, there's a number of different projects that are out there. You come, you get a shirt, We go out and surf for a couple hours. We come back and have lunch together. There's built in community, there's built in relationship time, there's built in times of serving. It's a great day. We have four rivers. So, any way I can entice you, come tonight, surf, right? It's a great inviting event. Action step you can sign up. Pull out your phone if you want, go to niceserve.org. There's uh, iPads in the lobby as well. A couple of projects that we're looking for right now. uh, uh, Florida United Methodist Children's Home has been a long-term partner of ours. They do great work with children. Uh, We're looking for a number of people to go help on that one. They could really uh, use a few people on that. And then as well as Lyman High School has some opportunities to serve to come alongside the local schools that are there. But I encourage you to sign up, come, invite some friends. It's a great way to serve. If you've got kids that need service hours, we will sign them. There you go. All right. Today's a high ass day. Sorry, not sorry, right? Um, There's a lot of ways to get involved, but my encouragement to you is to pick something, right? I I don't want you to do all of these, but if you do, I'll make you a patch maybe. Probably be like hand drawn on a piece of paper with a piece of tape, but it'll be really nice. But if there's something that stirs in you, like do it, right? If there's something that you heard, like, oh, yeah, I could do that. I've got a couple hours. I could go do that thing. Do it. Uh, It matters. We, again, we don't just, we don't do busy work here. Like we're looking for meaningful ways to serve and interact and to partner with organizations. So all these projects will be worth your time, will be helpful for them. Pick one as God leads you. Get trained for a care community. Go serve at UCP. Come to Nice, Serve, and Serve. And together as we do these things, I really do believe that as a church we'll be a bright light to our city. In fact, Jesus tells us his ultimate hope for us as we serve our city. And I wanna close this section with this message from him. In Matthew 5, verses 14 and 15, he says this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My hope is that we would continue to let God help us to be the light of the world together as we serve, as we reflect his radiance to the world around us, to a world that needs hope, that needs light. We live in a world that is often dark, that can use this hope. Let us be that light together as we serve and love our neighborhood. Let's pray. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you have called us as your people to reflect you, to uh, align ourselves with your kingdom now, to serve in ways that reflect you, that bring hope to broken places, that bring light into darkness. God, I pray that you, as you wire us to serve, as you wire us to give, that you would just uh, help us to take the steps. It's so easy to be stirred in ways and then um, hear it and feel it, but the busyness, crowd out the world. In fact, next week we'll talk about the vines that come and sometimes crowd out the messages that you plant deep within our hearts, Lord. But I pray that you would clear those ways for us, that you would open our calendars, that you'd open our lives and our hearts to step up to serve, that we'd come alongside the vulnerable in our city to make a difference, that we would be able to proclaim your hope in word and in deed, that we'd have a chance to show your love to the world around us. that we would be a light and that together, uh, we would be a bright light. And we would offer hope to a world that needs us. God, and I just pray that as uh, we are in a season of high ask and high service, God, that you would help us to find the right balance in our lives as well, that we would step into the place we need to, Lord, that we'd be wise in the ways that we do it. God, that you would continue to, to remind us of the words of Jesus of how he want us so to live. God, be near to us as we continue in our worship of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.